Hey, it's Andrew, and welcome back to Season 3 of Network Disrupted, where I, along with some very smart guests, help fellow technology leaders trade notes on navigating disruption in our space. This season, I've set a goal of exploring the issue of enterprise cloud adoption from as many angles as I can. Today, I'm joined by Avi Friedman, co-founder and CEO of Kentic, who himself just launched a podcast. Good luck, Avi. In this episode, you'll hear us talk about some of the challenges we see our customers running up against, the merits of monitoring and observability, why cloud adoption will never be easy, and how Russ White is just so right with his thoughts on automation, which I'll link in the show notes. All right, let's get into it. And if you have a moment, please don't forget to leave me a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to these. The feedback is always so helpful, and you'll be helping more people like you discover the show. Maybe you can give me a sense of the complexity. We love the pilot proof concept approach. It influences everything. It influences the human experience. There were several failures along the way. We want to be early adopter customers. You are handling sensitive information. Network disruptive. Avi, thank you so much for joining me today. You're welcome. It's great to be here. Why don't we start by just uh, telling us a bit about your story at Kentuck? Sure. I started Kentec with some of my co-founders seven years ago to help bring modern techniques uh, to network analytics, operations, observability. At uh, Akamai, one of the first things that I did back in October 99 was write some software to use our data and figure out where we should deploy and how to operate the network. And when I left Akamai 2009, it was clear that that technology was not out there actually had started building some network sensors and everyone that bought it said, actually, our big problem is analytics. How do we see the internet, the orchestrated automated world, cloud, on-prem? How do we make all this go? You know, because networking has gotten more diverse. So we're now about 140 people, 300 customers, venture back company, and uh, focusing on just making network lives awesome. Yeah, that, that's amazing. And, and, you know, I think as, you know, what's happening inside the, the intranet, let's say, I don't even know if that term is still <laughs> valid or cool, is basically reflecting what's happening on the broader internet now with the technologies out there. So you can't just monitor things the way you once monitored them if you care about application performance, user engagement, employee engagement, and everything else. But that, that's fantastic. So what do you see like when you start, when you meet with a, a prospective customer, what are they struggling with? So often they're struggling because they have five different kinds of networks that they run. Right. Whether it's a WAN, an SD-WAN, a data center of architecture number one, uh, cloud number one, cloud number two. And then, of course, you know, there's things that they don't run, like the internet or the SaaS applications. And all these things wound up, as you say, affecting employee productivity and, and performance and agility, revenue and, and application performance. So bringing everything together in one place is a, is, is a big factor. Understanding things that are beyond your border, you know, so the internet, and being able to sync with systems that are systems of record, like IPAM and Kubernetes and right. uh, CMDBs. And, you know, that's really important because the days where we could memorize all the IPv4 addresses and name machines, Fred and Wilma and Jason, you know, are past. So right. appliances where you have to sort of statically go in and configure things don't really work in that kind of environment. Right. I still do have some retail customers where if you name an IP address, they'll be like, that's the printer in our Piscataway, New Jersey, you know, <laughs> just, just because the step and repeat nature of it and some really interesting uh, subnet math. But regardless, yeah, you know, it, it's, it always occurs to me, you know, we're in this world now where the large networking vendors are consolidating like crazy. 
Oftentimes they do things in a proprietary nature. So they're doing, for instance, network monitoring or user experience monitoring or whatever, you know, application performance monitoring. And sometimes those things prefer an ecosystem that's mostly their world. And sometimes, sometimes they work, especially if it's through like M&A and consolidation across multiple stacks. It occurs to me that those vendors usually, because they've got their relationship, we're already buying $100 million a year of switches from, or whatever. We just made this massive Nexus 9000 acquisition from Cisco or something. And so we're just going to use what they have. Do you find customers realize that, that it's not even necessarily best of breed versus whatever my predominant networking vendor has to sell me? I, I think it's more so, my, my hypothesis is more so like a like you said, I mean, there's all these sorts of different networks and those networks are probably not through the same vendor. And so how do I look at all this together? But but I'm curious if customers tend to try to default to large networking vendor, whatever they have. So the large networking vendors have never been super great at the at the software side, which is ironic since it all is software ultimately that right. they're building. But, uh, you know, on the monitoring plane, the management plane. And I think what really is a stark fact is that the BU-itis that some of the large vendors, especially, you know, the biggest one has, makes it so that breadth. So even within the kinds of networking that a given vendor may sell technology for, if the software is out of a different BU, they also have the software that maybe works with APM and the data center, but doesn't see the WAN, or sees the WAN, but doesn't see the internet, right? It's your WAN, not the internet. Right. Or sees security, but doesn't understand internet or application. And so, you know, that's a pretty common, you know, I think it's true across all the vendors that we see. And so we also see, uh, so that's the major factor. Also, sometimes, you know, what we see is, is, as we've grown is uh, people saying, well, that company, you know, bought the startup, they're not going to work like a startup anymore. I'd rather, For work sure. you know, it's not even as much, I hate vendor X, it's, hey, if you do a good job at this, I'd rather have it all integrated. And again, they may have six SKUs that do uh, network monitoring, observability or something. And generally, they're more monitoring than observability. They're not API first, big data platforms. But you left out, I mean, who are the biggest network vendors out there? In some sense, the biggest SDN vendor is VMware. Right. VMware has vRealize Network Insights. They have Wavefront. They work with the VMware ecosystem especially well. And then the cloud, like look at how much, how much network there is and For sure. their tools are, Google does a little, but most of them are pretty, if you take VPC flow logs in the cloud tools, they look like syslog, which is right. not how network people want to use it. So it's an exciting place to try to help solve, but it's also frustrating for customers. You know, we see that a lot. No, no, for sure. For sure. I think that's what's the changing nature of the requirements are because of those things. We now have these overlay networks, or we're now we we now no longer have access to the underlying networking equipment. You know, this is all virtualized, and and that's just going to continue to get more complicated. Yeah, and you know, kind of networking that we do is eBPF on the host, right? Sometimes, yeah. if you're really virtualized, that's the only thing you have access to. You're running yep. containers or or VMs. It doesn't help you. That then you need to do synthetic transactions. You need to find a path because it's not your network and put it all together. I think it was Russ White. I don't think he said it was his quote, but I was sitting next to him and he said, automation does not mean simplicity. Yeah. You know, abstraction does not mean simplicity from operations either. He, he actually, he, he writes quite a lot about that and is very insightful. 
about this, this whole idea of simplicity and, you know, how to abstract that in a way that's meaningful versus, oh, it just works. Well, then it's probably not going to work for me. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a separate topic, which is, you know, we see a lot in startup land because we do work with a lot of web companies and companies that were recently startups as well. You know, the, the new hotness I need to use. And it's like, well, if you ask the networking people, they don't want to put it in production until they know how it breaks because right. everything breaks. Right. And so, yeah. you know, we talk a lot about that. I talk a lot about with customers as well, but it, it's, um, you know, just the whole idea that wisdom comes from failing breaking stuff, you know, real experience, not, not from, you know, so something brand new is out or even things like cloud, which company is just investing in, you can hire some people, some experience, but there's not a lot of people who have the wisdom yet. It's just, well, it's, experience is what yeah. you get when you didn't get what you wanted. So, you know, yeah. no, for sure. Is it the cloud aspect and the virtualized network aspect that, that normally, I mean, I would imagine starts bringing customers to potentially looking at, at Kentec or your solution. And obviously there's a lot to be said for observability in a, in a traditional network, but uh, I would imagine whatever was being done, which was probably, you know, SNMP polling or whatever was going, you know, just obviously isn't working in the new world and they don't know what's happening. There's a blind spot there. Does, is that sort of the intro to the conversation usually or? Yeah, there's a few few big on-ramps. One of them is internet centricity, because most of the existing systems are blind to the internet, which your SD-WAN sitting on top of. That's how you get to SaaS. That's how your employees are getting to you. That's how your yeah. customers are getting to you. That's where the CDNs are. So another is people have an observability mandate, and they're saying, well, how do we bring the network into this? You know, and they'll find us through the New Relic integration that we've done or our integrations with Splunk or others in that ecosystem. And then the other is pure cloud or hybrid. So typically, if you just have, you know, a, a leaf spine data center and you have whatever you have, you know, that's not typically the entry point. We may add that, you know, based on these other use cases. Right. But if you, as soon as you go hybrid and you're doing data center migration and you're trying to understand, well, what's still there? What's the performance between this app, which is at least DR, if not HA, sitting between my data center and a virtual data center that someone else is running? Um, that's a big use case, too. Got it. And your solution is delivered as SaaS or are you, obviously there's sensors or whatever the case, but sort of the backend data analytics, all that sort of stuff, or, or are, are you, is there an on-premises world for you on the backend as well? Well, interestingly, we and actually- By on-premises, oh, I just mean in customer managed. Thank you for saying on-premises or on-prem. You know, <laughs> on I'm a stickler for that, by the way. Yes, I, I've, I've seen- I'm, I'm super annoyed that the definition has now changed of on-premise, which just Oh my God! First, they lowercase internet the capital the the, the proper noun because there's only one of it. Right. Then they made uh, figuratively mean literally, and now yeah. on premise has become oh my yeah, god. Yeah, exactly. I think I, I think I need to. I don't drink, but I think I need to drink more diet. Right, so, right. We actually don't require any agents. You can just send network telemetry directly to us. People often deploy a proxy because UDP. Telemetry, they want to encrypt and NetFlow, right. SNMP, you know, well, SNMP a little bit. But our service, yeah, it's a very big database. It's not, you're not going to put it on a laptop or in a, in a VM, you know, in a, in a VM, uh, you know, running on, on your infrastructure. So, but we have two ways of doing that. So most of our customers are on our larger clusters that we run that they can get O2 over the internet or be pure with a number of our customers. 
which is awesome because it means we get transit from our service provider customers that appear with us yeah. uh, effectively to their customers. Right. Um, or we'll run a single tenant copy. So often you see in a financial uh, company, uh, their security use group says, no, I'm sorry, you can't take this data. It's PII. We have IP right. addresses. Or uh, a national telephone company says, this is critical infrastructure. We can't send it out. So we don't do licensed software. So we don't sell you the software and have you install it because we're maintaining it, monitoring it, we're upgrading right. it daily. But if you need it in your own domain, then we will do that for you. Yeah, got it. No, I, so I bring that up because of an interesting that thing that we have found. I mean, first of all, just the likelihood that customers, e even large financial services companies will accept a SaaS-based solution is changed pretty dramatically throughout the years, but still... There's a point, and yeah, you can do it single tenant or not, but there's always this point where, you know, they're 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 comfortable with these larger vendors or this other solution, but for whatever reason, not necessarily comfortable with with what you're doing, what you're storing in the cloud. And obviously, there's governance, but it's just it's still it still seems to be a hurdle. But you're like, wait a second, you're using Office 365, so <laughs> like, okay, here's your network telemetry. What's more risky, that or every email in the entire, but anyway, regardless, I think it, it's, it's, it's definitely good. Yeah, I mean, we have SOC 2, we log all the queries, they can get a copy of the logs. There's audit trails. Um, yeah, it's a multi-tenant system, but again, we can run a single tenant copy, but sometimes we you know we do run into people and they say, no, 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 it needs to be, you can't ever have access ever, even though the dirty little secret is many appliance vendors basically have the equivalent of a modem hooked into the back that the tech support can get into, whether it's right. SSH tunnel or an actual modem, which I know some of still exist. You know, so what really difference? It's still just software. Oh, for sure. For sure. And let me point out that my employer, BlueCat, we do not have a backdoor into our customers' appliances. So I don't mean backdoor. I mean basically, or, or even front door. Even front I, door. I mean a front door yeah, yeah. where you know you can say turn this on so I can support you, and then some people yeah, just yeah. put it on because it's easier. So yeah, but they yeah, pretend yeah. that it's appliances and that no one has access, even though yeah, you know. right, for sure. The term hybrid cloud, speaking of on-premises, is also now fairly generic. In other words, I hear it used all the time to just mean. Uh, we still have data centers and we're using public cloud versus we're implementing technologies such that we can, whether it's DR, whether it's just peak usage, you know, scale out type use cases where we can have, we can have compute similar applications, similar workloads moving between these domains. So from that hybrid cloud perspective, and maybe it's more just around virtual networking in general, but how do you think that has impacted the broader networking landscape? We've talked a little bit about just sort of like, you know, a lot of this technology is new, mm -hmm. but the promise of the technology, certainly on the virtual network side internally, was always like, well, this will be easy. You know, you don't need to make all these changes. Just deploy this. One of the vendors used to have this little video, you know, this explainer video where the where the, uh, the business was asking the network admin to do a bunch of stuff. And he was like, I, I need six months and this amount of money. And some other guy was like, oh, but we can just deploy this and we can do the change immediately. You know, So I think there's a lot of naive assumptions over what that actually entails. How do you think that's impacted sort of broader networking? Well, networking has always been a land of change, which generally people view as good. And the move to 
infrastructure as code and being descriptive is a great one. And in some sense, cloud is just other people's infrastructure as code with funny names and terminology, but underneath yeah. it's tunnels and routing and forwarding and switching and all that stuff. So the, the challenge is the way that cloud networking works or with the default primitives in Amazon is different than Azure, is different than running your own data center, you know, with, with major vendor and protocol yep. is different than if you used a magic cluster technology is different than if you use uh, Sonic and write your own, you know, stuff. So the good thing is it's an opportunity for learning. The bad thing is, you know, the wonderful thing about standards is there's so many to choose from. So what we see is, is, is the more successful clients of ours pick a couple of standard architectures, whether it's in the cloud, you know, a couple of vendors and, or, or as they evolve their own on-premises infrastructure, the people that we see get into have more issue corralling everything or operating it, you know, will have 15 different, well, that group wants to use the Arista as the thing and not use the yeah. substrate. That one wants to use the virtual MX. That one uses transit gateways. That one peers all inside one entity that can get difficult not to take the telemetry into one place, but just to operate, right? Yeah. Because, right. You ultimately, you still have to get into that, you know, to do some levels of debugging when you form a thesis based on what you're seeing. But we see an awful lot of hybrid, even, you know, not necessarily HA. So yes, we have cloud, we have content provider and web company customers and some SaaS customers that will scale into the cloud, the same app, logically network extension, you know, just because they need a cloud burst, but that's not, that's not the typical pattern. Usually these are things that are networks that peer with each other or connect to each other and are operated differently. You just want to help the people that are doing that operations have as few concepts to get around as possible. Right. No, and, and I, I couldn't agree with you more just on the, the likelihood of sprawl of technology for either, you know, maybe it, it's just because there wasn't some up front planning and thought. Maybe it's because, you know, different business units or, or different parts of a business uh, were solving independently. But sometimes it's just, you know, people want to use the next cool thing for whatever reason. And uh, that creates some serious problems. There's another factor, right, which is network in the cloud is often turned on and set up not by networking people with API defaults, developers, SRE, yep. people that again are, that's, it's great from an agility perspective, but you know, that also can be a challenge because sometimes network people don't have access to that telemetry. They need to go begging and borrowing. That's why we're open sourcing our agents and, you know, if eBPF is all you can get, you know, let's give it that value to them and then, you know, bring that into the network systems, bring it across observability. So that's a cultural challenge, just like security and, and net ops can be in some companies too. And we've I've certainly seen it and and talked to some people on this podcast and definitely talked to customers about some real downsides of that challenge where, yeah, look, now anybody can go deploy a network that's, you know, there, there needs to be architecture, there needs to be upfront planning. And, and I think there's just too much discounting of the wise network engineer or architect that's been around forever because he's speaking language we don't know. It's way easier in Amazon. You just go to this VPC thing and click peering and except over there and the networks are peered, you know, obviously there's ramifications. The, the other aspect of it is, you know, what, what a single cloud provider provides today 
mm-hmm. uh, will mature faster than I think most enterprises are used to in terms of technology adoption. Like, you know, a good example is just with AWS with, you know, best practices and VP, VPC peering turned into transit gateways turned into, you know, and, and so you're- We have an ebook. There's a gentleman at uh, Intuit who's very helpful, who's been there through the whole thing and laid us through, here's the evolution of the eight generations and here's what was wrong with each generation that right. was the next, but you still have these caveats and this can do overlapping IPs and this can't. So we have an ebook about that, which was very helpful to me, you know, because- yeah. Uh, yeah, it can be confusing if you just look down, look up. Yeah, it's changed. Yeah, it's changed, right? And then, then if your if your mechanism to learn is is dated courseware or Googling, you know, you're not, you, you know, it, it's just you'll find the thing that works and do it, even if it's not the best architecture for the company, you know, and, and because you don't need a separate network lab anymore, you know, like it, it's it's easier to to solve by trial and error which is rarely the best way to solve something. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's better to understand. And, you know, labbing is, on the flip side, labbing is easier now, right? Which is great. We as a community need to do better at making the kind of advanced debugging that you're challenged with in a CCIE, which I've only heard about, I don't have. Like, how to, how to reason about things when they're breaking and do the debugging and all that is really important, but hard to get, you know, harder to get in an abstracted world. So the cloud, the, we should use the other side, which is the benefit, and use this the flexibility of virtualization to build open environments that let people learn to help bring them in. Because uh, yeah. that's a frustration I've heard from people wanting to break in is, what well, I have to buy stuff on eBay, but that's not modern stuff. And you know, how do I how do I do this? How do I learn? Right. Yeah, agreed. All right, so let's go real basic for a second. What is the core difference between observable and monitorable? or observability and monitoring? So there's a lot of different uh, takes on that. Observability from the engineering sense is the ability to infer what's happening of the, from the thing being observed by its outputs. So, you know, think of uh, tomography where you're looking at a bunch of vector sum signals and you're trying to figure out what the, you know, what some structure internally is doing. From our customer perspective, from very early on, one of the first appliances we competed with with Arbor, it only did rollups. And so it was like taking the SAT. If you, if you, if you told it the questions you were going to ask it, it could sort of answer them. But right. if you needed to double click or pivot or whatever, it really couldn't. I, I tend to also think that monitoring you know, has a lot to do with the things that you know go wrong, the things you know to look for. And taking those telemetry streams, doing the right things with them, being able to really do observability means I've got all these outputs and, you know, maybe the way I was looking at it doesn't get at it. Let me, the human, go in and do my diagnostics. Like we do proactive notification, baselining, learning over the data. But if you're going to affect something that could take your business down, sometimes you want a human to look at it and say, yeah, I believe this, right? This is really the thing to do. And for that, you know, you really need an observability platform that can see a wide range of kinds of telemetry, keeps it, does the right things with it, but also lets the humans interact with it. Um, that's the way that uh, our customers think about it. And one of the differentiators that we think of um, now, some people say observability means you have to ask the question and you're not a real engineer unless you know what questions to ask. We don't, I, I don't buy that, right? To, for an enterprise to get value from these platforms that it's building, a knock technician, a CFO, an accountant, 
a salesperson, network operations, everyone should be able to use the platform, which means you do need sometimes just dashboards and maps and things like that. And you also need the experts to be able to get in all the way down to the detailed data if they need it. How do you think about it? Very much similar. I also don't think of it as an either or. Yeah. And I think too often it becomes a one versus the other versus the value of one versus the value of the other. Because in, in the world where you're getting the telemetry, uh, doesn't mean you should stop monitoring because there's questions you do know uh, that are specific to that device as opposed to any sort of correlation or you know the telemetry streaming off of it. The power supply is letting you know it's got a problem. You know, I, I don't want to predict the power supply is having a problem based on seeing telemetry data. I would I would love a alert, an SNMP trap, ability to monitor and just know that. You know what I mean? Yep. So I, I think people think of them as one or the other versus you know both valuable. Uh, yeah, I think I think we'll move to being more of a continuum. Now I'd say it's more synergistic. You know the way that you can take the different approaches and combine them. Yeah, no, for sure. I see it starting to show up on things like RFPs. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the the word is there. They're asking if it's observable, you know, and and sometimes it's, okay, well, of course it's observable. You know, what what do you, <laughs> and, and I don't mean that by the, you can observe it. I mean that we're generating tons of data. They, they mean, but, do you have the right telemetry? When the question's asked that way, I, I feel like they're just asking based on the buzzword. Right. The, the One of the challenges in the network world has been that it's really funny when you know three or four people that have caused like such influence. Sometimes it's positive and that's awesome. Sometimes it's negative. In my view, streaming telemetry, the hype around it has been caused a lot of wasted energy. So the idea before observability was a term was, hey, I don't trust you, Mrs. Vendor. Uh, I'm going to use white box unless you open up, you know, Cisco, Juniper, or Vista and send me all the data from the box and I will make sense of it. Now we have probably 50 customers doing streaming telemetry instead of in addition to SNMP, zero of them do less than 30 second export because they'll like explode the box. And so exactly Facebook and Microsoft, as far as I know, Netflix, I think would like to do something on the sense of, ooh, magic ML, I see all these signals and maybe. None of them are doing the the fantasy of, oh, I can detect inconsistent forwarding because I'm looking at all your route updates and seeing that this route table is different. Like for debugging, maybe, but the, the, oh, it's observable, I'm going to do this magic ML stuff. And, And in the end, if you go to the big vendor presentations, they say, take all the streaming telemetry, put it in influx and query it manually when you need something, which actually makes it less usable than SNMP in traditional old monitoring systems that people make fun of. So that's one of the things that we think a lot about is how do you unify it? Because the same thing inside, you could get SNMP, streaming telemetry, API, CLI. There's some things you still have to screen scrape to get optic right. temperatures and stuff that isn't elsewhere. Yep. And how do you provide that as a bus and help, you know, Splunk or New Relic, a traditional observability platform, see it? And how do you help networkers, even if they're going to DIY? And the thing is, there's no incentive for any single vendor to solve it. So, you know, as a representative of the observability industry, I'll say that it will take it on ourselves and right. try to work towards it. You know, the vision has caused in some ways, like the first version of streaming telemetry forgot the MIB. 
So like every vendor had their own semantics and, you know, that was a huge pain. Now there's open config and trying to combine it, but it's still a little bit messy. Yeah. And it's still that thing streaming the data versus something next to it or something that can see, you know, like I, I don't need you to tell me, uh, pretend for a second, you're some switch out there, certain things because I can just observe them because there's, you know, I, I can calculate how many socket connections are being opened or how much traffic streaming off not being on the box, you know, That's and so the whole say. idea of, of a, of a sidecar, which I'm, I'm sort of broadening, but I don't, I don't need to be there. I don't, I don't need to be on box to stream telemetry to observe something. Yes. But, you know, we sort of think of one of the things that we do is application aware network observability. Like, yeah, if you're running a sidecar and you're running Istio to coordinate your envoys, we can take, we have a plugin and we can take that and, some network people go, oh my God, that's not network traffic. It's like, well, it doesn't have a TCP flag, but it's got some bytes went yeah. from somewhere to somewhere. And we actually know more data about it. We know performance, transaction name, but that's still, I would say, a work in progress. Like most observability platforms, Monon New Relic can, don't really take the underlying network infrastructure data. Most network projects don't try to bring in those other sources, but you know what? RUM data, plus BGP equals peering performance. And again, it's not from, and then, you know, maybe it is better to do that than NetFlow from the router. I know for uh, sure. Some people think that's a heretical viewpoint, but you, you and I both come from the world where, you know, before the specialization of nerd into sysadmin, networking, architect, security, you know, general view, take the data where you can and use the right data, you know, to solve the right problem. Yeah, right. And and, and uh, the opportunity to figure out how everything works. So tying this back to cloud, you know, obviously things like observability are, are core to cloud native architectures and sort of th- as I'm building new applications, things I'm constantly thinking about. And, and you know, as you were just discussing, you know, uh, in the world of on-premises, things, things, tended to be different historically, but, you know, do you see the, look, this is, this has become essential at this point. In other words, as I'm driving cloud network, this is something I I need as opposed to relying on whatever the cloud vendors have, or, you know, if companies aren't going with you, they're coming, they're going with somebody. I, I, I've, I've got to be able to collect this data and understand the performance of my stuff. We're at the point where it's, people are having problems, so they're buying solutions. Or as they're thinking about cloud networking, they realize they need these components as well. Yeah. yeah. So there's an awful lot of suffering in the dark, more than I would expect, but I come from the background of being a toolmaker. So when I ran a Usenet company, I had, you know, syslog that took every transaction, had a token of the user at transaction time, and then wrote something that took the syslog, combined it with BGP and showed me where I might have peering performance. Right. But first of all, you have to realize most enterprise, especially corporate IT, doesn't isn't resourced for everyone going and building their own tools. And you know, they're brilliant people, but often very interrupt driven and don't get the flow that you need yep. to be able to go do that if you're in a web company. And a lot of people try these detours where they say, oh, uh, you know, Datadog has network observability and then it's eBPF, which means if it didn't terminate on the kernel, it doesn't exist. Right. You have a virtual F5, a virtual Arista, whatever, it doesn't exist. You want to see the routers and switches underneath, you get SNMP. 
So, but that's, that may be the platform that people have, you know, in the company. So they'll try to do that. Or again, they may have, you know, they may keep begging the traditional appliance vendor to go do it, or they may have started, you know, whether it's Elastic or Influx or whatever, trying to build up their own. So we see an awful lot of, we're coming in and especially on cloud, you know, Greenfield, like yeah. when you're doing performance testing, there's a bunch of vendors out there that they do performance testing as SaaS. You're doing the core sort of NetFlow, SNMP. There's a bunch of, it's more appliances. There's no SaaS. On the cloud side, we see a lot of people trying to use CloudWatch. And again, they're sort of like, like I, that's like logs. I can't, like, I want to see my network. We're trying to do their own. And, and there's a lot more, you know, Greenfield. Or they've used Sumo or, you know, again, the observability platform. Right. That's changing. And I think eBPF as a sort of a wave on the cloud native side, some of the visibility of the sidecar type things is bringing people into it, but you still have the internet underneath. You still have diverse network architectures. And, you know, our hope is that whether it's partnering with us or some of the open source that we're doing, observability platforms will come, you know, CNCF will go uh, down the stack a little bit, you know, and that'll help in terms of open telemetry and, and observability. But again, it's, it's amazing how many customers we talk to that are for cloud, you know, specifically VPC flow logs or eBPF. And, and they say, here are our problems. We feel there should be something, but we don't have a good solution for those. Right. Got it. So they're, they're thinking ahead. Yeah. And, and, you know, look, some people have made millions or tens of millions of dollars investment in packet copying network things. And those vendors, their answer is mirror your packets in the cloud and take our things there. And then it still looks at it like a LAN or a VLAN, not like how does everything connect? And so sometimes we see the cycle of, you know, people are, you know, have those investments and refresh cycles that they can be limited by. Yeah. And, and just, just can't adopt new technology that quickly. Cause even if the cloud is greenfield, they're dealing with, you know, just a massive amount of uh, a, a huge machine that is it that just can't do things faster for whatever reason. Um, I mean, that's, it's, it's really interesting because I see a lot of organizations that are Try to live with the duality of ITIL and DevOps. Right. And they're sort of enemies of each other in some ways. But the truth is, as, as networkers, we, make, we may make fun of people just t- turning on networking in the cloud and whatever. But, you know, when you're at a certain scale, if you don't have any process and everything is wild, wild west and infinitely agile, you know, you wake up in three years and nothing looks like anything else. And it's those problems we we're talking about. So yeah. I don't pretend to have the magic answers. Yeah. I, am, I would not, that, that's not, that's not the way I've taken my career. It's harder in some sense than some of the things that we do, frankly. We can have a whole discussion on, on different methodologies, agile, should DevOps even be a thing, whatever. But my point is what, what companies should be attempting to do mm-hmm. is finding mechanisms to drive smaller change faster. And in order to do that, stepping away from your like six Sigma black belt project managers where, you know, there's going to be a maintenance window and you're going to execute this procedure. And these people are going to go test and make sure that it was executed correctly. And here's how you're going to make sure it worked. And then if it didn't, here's how we're going to roll back. And one hour before the end of the window, we're rolling everything back. If there's, it's not done to a world where you're, you're making smaller changes faster which are therefore easier to consume and not like a small change has taken down many a company over the last year. But I think the point is with, with some level of observability, 
you can immediately understand the impact of the change other you know beyond the we made the change we went home asia came online at two in the morning whatever and this application wasn't working oh we didn't think about that application you know and so i think that's part of the power in in order to enable rapid change small or large you need to understand the impact of the change on the system and in those methodologies which are a whole lot easier in greenfield cloud whatever the case you know it's hard to do that if you've got a load balancer with a thousand applications behind it mm-hmm. uh way easier to do with a small little application load balancer or something but but regardless i think that's an area where you you need the data you can't assert the change worked by running a set of tests that might be faulty on their own even before we added ml to the platform one of the very first set of things that we started alerting on was something has vanished, right? right? Something that used to be an application pair or a top remote network, right? Has vanished. Like how are you going to see black holing, right? You right. see it by its absence, right? It's uh, how would you see something stealth? You, you know, look for light behind it and, yeah. and see that there's nothing there. If you read science fiction, <laughs> you know, physics stuff. And uh, that's really important now. At scale, it's not a magic bullet. You know, I remember when we started working with Yahoo and I said, you know, let's, you know, life cycle, which a lot of our customers do. I made a change. Is performance okay? Are all the applications sending traffic at volume I expect? Is the distribution to the internet of countries and networks the right way? And and use do that as part of their check. Or same way, they'll take that data into a ServiceNow ticket, even if it's not a network ticket. They'll take the network data, they'll take the application data and enrich it so that someone can look at it internally with context to human. And then, you know, they said, well, how many changes do you think we make? And I said, I don't know, you know, 500 a day. He's like, no, like a thousand a minute. <laughs> you know, now that's in aggregate across all properties and everything and metadata, but still you know, there is a point at which, you know, that can be hard, but for most even pretty decent size, you know, enterprises and service providers, there isn't that much, you know, if you focus on uh, performance applications, you know, you focus the dimensions, you can see whether there's an effect, whether it's positive or, again, black holing, negative. And you need to be able to look across because maybe that traffic moved over to the cloud. So if you're only looking at your data center, it's going to look like there's a problem. Yeah, yeah. What happened to all the traffic? Where's all the blinking lights? Fantastic. Look, I mean, I, I think observability, what you're doing, your platform, just just sort of understanding the network that is now being carried over, um, well, it's still being carried over traditional stuff, but it's being encoded in so many different ways, you know, is a critical part of this journey to cloud that, that uh, and as we said earlier, I think the vendors out there are in many ways pushing this idea that do this, it's easier. And I think that's one of the fallacies of the industry, you know, and... and so the Russ know, White quote, yeah. quoting, right? It's not magic. I mean, it can it can be easier to consume, but you have to look at the full life cycle of it, so... Yeah, right, exactly. So it's easier to consume. You have to look at the full life cycle. So now you've actually created something that you thought was easy and is hard. And then there's the series of vendors out there that are saying, Kubernetes is a good example, you know? Oh, God, uh, yes. oh, Kubernetes is actually hard. Well, no, there's K zero S, K minus one S. There's the minim- minimal, yeah. like you know, it's the it's the helmsman in a straitjacket, you know. Yeah. Because. So it's hard, and we've got a product to make it easy, you know. So you end up buying like you know just layers on top on layers and layers. So, and I'm a strong advocate of looking for 
capabilities that work across the, the hybrid cloud or across the different types of networks that are out there versus versus this tool propagation and complexity that that can really, really drive downtime. But anyway, regardless, it was an absolute pleasure talking to you. I feel like we can talk forever at this hour. I don't know how long we're going to cut this thing down to, but we've talked about an hour and uh, I still have questions about some of the books behind you. So, but with that, I think it's a good time to wrap and, and uh, you know, any final word or advice out there for companies that are really starting to, outside of buy your product, for companies that that are starting the transition of adopting cloud and cloud networking? I would actually go to uh, your domain and say, think about as much as possible, focusing in on sources of truth, because in a world which is hybrid, in a world which is orchestrated, if you have conflicting systems, you know, part of observability is the metadata about what, what is running, what should be running. And you know, think carefully about that. It's not just about networking and technology and, uh, and and terminology, but also being able to unify it with applications, users, customers. And one of the biggest challenges we see with some sophisticated customers is we say, look, we have the ability to take all that as as input. Uh, where's the source of truth? And they just start laughing, and maybe eventually they finish at some point. So yeah, right. Right. Um, you know, NetBox right. is a good example of that on the open source side, but, yep. you know, using DDI, CMDB, using all that properly, I would just encourage people that that's a really important part of the network architecture actually nowadays. Yeah. Well said. I'll take that advice. All right. <laughs> Thank you. Good to talk to you again. And, and thanks yep. again for joining.